Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to the Football Grad Podcast. I'm your host, Manu Ovef, and as always, I am joined by Andrew Flint all the way over in Siberia. How are you doing, Andrew? Ah, not too bad. I've got a nice bit of plate of food in front of me. Weather's not too bad. Um, Chumen match in a couple of days' time. Um, so yeah, not too bad. Uh, how are you doing, Manny? Yeah, doing doing pretty good. Um, you know, ready for this podcast, excited for this podcast, and to help do us this podcast is the man across my just just across the water from where I am, Tim Bokterchev. Tim, how are you doing? Great. Hello, 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 boys. Excited for the podcast. Excited to talk to you, and uh, hopefully have some good time and have the as usual we have some laughs and uh, joking uh, side of the Russian football. So hopefully it's going to be fun. Yeah, I think so as always. You know, um, let's start with <laughs> this. This has been a bit of a theme. Um, let's start with Sutorman once again. You know, the, the man who went for, how much was it again, Tim? 50,000 rubles? Yeah, you got it. Yeah, 50,000 rubles from, uh, he spent a month for a month in in Kazan, fifty thousand. No, no, a month is too much. It was a week. A week. Oh man, yeah. And you know what? I just might, trying to make it uh, sound a little better than it was. <laughs> so, uh, but he has paid a million rubles to his coach. Um, yeah, explain that one to me, Tim. Yeah, that's because the kid. That story which we discussed last week that he went for fifty thousand rubles uh, from Rubin to Zenit, and then the compensation then one of his previous clubs got was uh, nearly a thousand rubles. That was just like the story which was probably became a joke, running joke last week in the around the Russian football. And then I don't know if it was forced or is it just like to show that uh, they care or whatever. Or maybe for real, that was just a nice move from Alexei Sutarmin uh, that he transferred a million rubles uh, to his uh, first coach. And um, yeah, and a, they did a little interview with the, the coach. He says that he yeah, asked him how much he's making. Unfortunately, I don't remember right now, but it was something peanuts, like it was, I don't know, 20,000 rubles per month or something. So obviously a million dollars per month, oh, sorry, million rubles per month is a, a great income. He, he was asked what he's going to spend for. He is like, I have uh, kids. And I think he said grandkids. I don't remember that he, he needs to help. They, they need, they need help. So it's, uh, the story, which is kind of funny, still has kind of 
a good a goodwill a- ending because obviously you know that's that's a nice move by Alexei Sutar. I mean that uh, regardless if he was forced to do it because of like the social pressure of uh, his uh, $50,000 ruble transfer or just from the goodwill regardless if he helped out his uh, first coach I think that's a good story that is actually a good story because what was the compensation again um Yeah, uh, well, for, to the to the club was what nine hundred forty something rubles, mm-hmm. which we said was twenty bucks. So <laughs> amazing, absolutely amazing. Um, Andrew, how many draw Mario's do you get for that money? <laughs> Good question. Yeah, you you might get about his left toenail for about that. Um, but, <laughs> oh dear me! I tell you what, you mentioned Joe Mario, and he, it's a it's a funny one really because I, as an English football fan, I follow the English Premier League closely too, and he he went to West Ham for a year uh, and was a bit of a flop there, which was surprising really because he's such a classy player. And he's won the European Championships in Portugal, of course. Um, This one really, really came out of left field, this, uh, this transfer. So yesterday it was confirmed he's joined Lokomotiv Moscow on loan. Um, and it's, it's, I have to be honest, it's a, it's a big, big signing for them because they needed a bit more strength in depth. I said at the beginning of the season, Lokomotiv's first team is arguably the strongest or one of the strongest first 11s, but if they had injuries, they might have problems. Now, Yao Mario is, um, Uh, has joined, it's, it's starting to look extremely impressive for Loco. Yeah, it really does. Tim, what do you make of this transfer? I think it's a great transfer. Uh, he, look, I'm being big fan of Joao Mario. I don't know uh, why he didn't, didn't really work out for him in England and then in Italy. But when I saw him play for the national team, And for sporting, I was really, really impressed and I like uh, his type of player. So I'm, I'm glad that he arrived. I think for Russian Premier League, this is absolutely top uh, player because even maybe he didn't really work out in Italy and England, but still the R- Russian League is obviously is, uh, level down, a step down. He's going on loan. He wants to play the Champions League football. I've been also following the, the Inter transfers this, this season and because of the financial fair play he was offered to so so many clubs and then recently <clears throat> probably about a week ago uh they went to russia and he i think he was offered to the moscow clubs and the two main candidates were dynamo moscow and lokomotiv moscow but he obviously picked loco because of the champions league football and again that's a, again that's a sign how you can attract Another another confirmation that you know if you play Champions League football, it's easier for you to attract bigger players. Um, yeah, so I, I think I agree with the Mano that he will be an, an improvement, in, especially in the in midfield. They have uh, Krychovek, they have uh, Barinov players who play there, but obviously with the um, additional of uh, Champions League games, they will need more bodies, uh, just Peter, for, for rotations, or if there will be um, somebody is missing their game due to injury or yellow card. So uh, I think it's a great transfer. Uh, it's hard to see how he will, you know, you know, it's it's always it's always a, a, a task to adjust uh, to life in Russia, to Moscow, to the coldness of the country and playing sometimes in minus five, minus 10 degrees. It's not sometimes not everyone's cup of tea, but uh, I, I, I hope and I think That's a good transfer for Loco. Yeah, it's 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 a fascinating transfer. So um Loco have a buy option of 18 million euros um to to buy him at the end of the season. Um he was the second most expensive signing in Inter's history. Uh, this is 
just a, just a few little facts. And I, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how he's going to fit into that midfield, right? In that, um, what is it? The three, five, two that, um, that they play, uh, that Yuri Seaman likes to play. Um, yeah. Interesting too, Andrew. Um, they now got two European champions and a world champion in that team. You know, it's like a football manager 2014. Yeah, sorry, 2016, so you said two right. European champions. Yes. And a you, world champion. You said two European champions. I heard that part. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know about the world champions. They, they don't need world champions. The European champions are far better. Um, but, um, no, I mean, in all seriousness, um, I think it's, there's actually a lot of sense to it. It, it did take, it did take me by surprise because I hadn't heard anything about it. But Inter have, have just signed Alexis Sanchez and Manchester United on loan. So that's, they still are having to pay a lot of wages there. So it helps to offload it from them. But, but also, like you mentioned, Edo up front is a, I think, a very underrated player in Locomotive squad. He gets a lot of stick for having a slightly gangly appearance, but I think he's got very, very good first touch for a big man. Um, he's very quick, very mobile. And, um, yeah, Mario would be obviously knowing him from international level. It could create a very potent connection. Uh, if and when Eder is selected when he's back from injury. So, yeah, it's a lot of sense to it. Yeah. Um, it's very interesting. I think it's a very interesting move all around. I'm really curious to see him in this league because, uh, you know, you want to, you want to have the stars and, um, you want to have maybe a player and think, you know, when you, when you consider his age, um, he's only 26. There's still a lot of football left in him, like a lot of football. It's kind of interesting that it just didn't work out for him at Inter. So. Yeah, really looking forward to see him and see him in the Champions League, of course, as well. We're going to find out um, the Champions League draws. We're going to talk a little bit about the Champions League a little bit further down the, the podcast, but we're going to find out, the, of course, the Champions League groups and all that on uh, Thursday and Friday, I believe. So I'm really, really looking forward to seeing that draw. But um, Tim, Joe Mario's transfer, um, you said it before the podcast, off the record kind of thing. I'm going to put you on the record now. That affects another Portuguese player who used to play for um, Locomotive, right? Manuel Fernandes. Um, what's what's going to happen to him? Exactly. So he didn't really agree a new deal with Locomotive and pretty much Joe Mario is coming kind of in his place. Uh, Portuguese player for Portuguese player. Manuel Fernandes is uh, now... Uh, is looking for a club. Uh, just to give a little bit of perspective, if listeners don't know, he was one of the key players in the season when uh, Loco became the champions. Uh, he really wanted to get a uh, better deal after after that because he was he was instrumental player in that team and he deserved uh, well deserved. He he had the right to ask uh, for a higher deal, but in the end it didn't work out. Uh, he's now looking uh, for a new club, and uh, there was a rumor that um, he is in another Russian side is interested, uh, Krasnodar, and they offered him one plus one offer, given his age because he is uh, thirty plus. I believe he's thirty four years old maybe so so he's um yeah but and then also there's an interest from um Peshikvaş from Turkey uh, that that interest was all over him because w- once he had those issues with Lokomotiv and his contract was uh, running out he um yeah there was a few different rumors uh, from uh, from Turkey for for him so we'll see where he goes i'm pretty sure he'll end up somewhere um in, in before the transfer window closes uh, but he might stay in Russia and stay in Krasnodar i think if Krasnodar would have made it 
to the group of Champions League. And like Manu said, we will talk about it a little bit later. Unfortunately, they didn't. Uh, so he, I think there was more, more chances for him to stay in, in Russia and continue in Krasnodar purely because, because of more football and they need higher quality players. But still, the offer uh, is there. Um, they had another injury, unfortunately, Krasnodar in the, in the game against Olympiakos. So we will, we will talk about that, but that's an interesting case and definitely a player who was a, a Russian Premier League star. Um, so that's, that's why we're talking about it because he's an important player in that league and hopefully he will stay and continue. Provide us with some entertaining football. Yeah, I think in Manuel Fernandez's cases, I think he probably gambled a little bit too high, right? Like in sense that, um, in the sense that he asked for the money, and then instead his club just went and bought Joao Mario or loaned him. Sorry. Yeah, but that that deal was like you know that that conversation between him and the club has been going for a very long time, yeah. and. Um, yeah, I, I don't know how realistic he he's asked for for the money his age, but uh, clearly he felt like he had the right to ask because, like I said, he was clearly really, uh, him and Farfan were two players who were clearly instrumental in that uh, Champions uh, season. Uh, he was the game, he was the the, the orchestrator of the mm. game. So I get his point that he was asking. At the same time, you can understand Lokomotiv because he already was on good wages and a player who is, um, you know, like I said, fairly old by the football standards, asking for more money and new contract, maybe they had different uh, plans, different vision. So obviously they didn't agree on this on this, and uh, that's why the Manuel Fernandes is looking out for, for the new club. So we'll see where he ends up. Yeah. Uh, probably next week we already know where, where, where he'll continue his football. Yeah, you know what? Window closes soon. So thank God for that. Um, you know, it allows Andrews club to offload players to, um, Serie A teams <laughs> and it allows, uh, allows us to then get, get a breather, um, and actually focus a little bit more on the football rather than transfer rumors. Although that said, everyone kind of lost a little bit of transfer rumors. And that's uh, on, ta- on that topic. We have two more Andrew Gogua to CSKA. And so Rokin to Krasnodar, uh, let's break, uh, break those on town. What can you say about those two rumors? To be honest with you, one of them makes a lot more sense than the other to me. Uh, Cedric Gogoa was unknown in Russia before this season, joined Tambov, uh, and he scored twice, uh, was it three times? At least twice this season already, uh, in a struggling side. And that sort of put him under the spotlight, but it makes to me absolutely no sense whatsoever for Tsarskaya to actually be interested in him, and I don't really pay much credence to the to the rumor because of that. They have they brought in um, Salia on loan. They have a lot of young defenders. Uh, Victor Vassin is back from injury; he was out for most of the last season, and they they've been playing Kirill Nababkin in the back three in the last year, eighteen months, on and off. So they've got plenty of cover there, and they, I don't really think that's likely to happen. But the second one, which I think is much more interesting, is Yegor Sorokin, um, apparently of interest to Krasnodar. Now, <clears throat> yesterday, um, I saw so on Monday, I was in Yekaterinburg for Ural against Sochi, and I spoke to a couple of the local journalists then about Stefan Strandberg, and he was under contract at Krasnodar uh, until this summer, but he has been released, and, and with the um, injury to Alexander Martinovic, it does leave just an ever such a slight worry about centre-back cover. Um, Fjolleson has been playing very well, but Sorokin um, scored, was it five goals last season? I think it was. Um, he's a very young defender. He's very comfortable on the ball, which will suit Krasadar's style. 
Um, and of course, you've got Rubin, who are still ever so slightly under pressure financially. And they are much closer to adhering to financial fair play, but they still have a little bit more to do. So they could make a bit of money from it too. So um, whether that will happen in time, I'm not sure, but it makes a lot more sense for Krasadar. And I could see that one happening a lot more than Gogua to Tesca. But anyhow, it's interesting to see which teams are interested in who. Yeah, I think, I mean, the, the Gogoa, um, Tambov playing with a back three, right? So that's, that would be an easy transition for him if it, if it does happen. Those are always ifs and buts, right? Uh, Ego Sorokin, mm, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm with you, Andrew. I think that is actually, um, a story that makes a lot more sense than the Gogoa. Cause you, you, you don't necessarily sell someone, um, right at the start of the season if you're a newly promoted side. Um, maybe that's one for the winter, you know, we'll find out. Mm, um, exactly. Um, yeah. So boys, um, <laughs> I always find this really interesting about this part of the season. We're just getting started, you know, and the league games are, are, are finally ongoing again. And you're about, well, in the Russia, at least we have a few match days and, and at the table wait until we talk about this because there's some craziness happening, but. You know, you're just getting, getting used to all of this again. And, um, then it's an international break. You know, we have this weekend and then I think next weekend is already international break. So just as we're getting used to football again, being normal, um, uh, we get national team games, but, um, there's a little bit of a debate about this national team squad, Tim, because one name who has one player who has been a part of transfer rumors all summer as well, Fedor Chalov. Not been called up to Russia. What's going on here? Yeah, uh, Stanislav Chichesov has been con consistently criticized because he doesn't give the chance to Fedor Chalov, who is uh, one of the top strikers in Russia, who really became the number one striker in CSKA squad and a team which is one of the leaders of the Russian league. And he obviously is a young talent and um, he proves with his goals that he is at the level that he could be considered uh, for the national team. Um, Stanislav Chichesov called him up a couple of times. Chalov didn't get that much of a playing time. Um, and this time for the two, uh, again, crucial games, uh, which are coming up with this um, national team's break, he is not called up again. So Stanislav Chichesov got again some criticism. His version is, which I totally understand and I actually stand by, um, because he has, uh, Russia mostly plays with one striker, uh, because we play either five defenders or four defenders, but it's usually, uh, one striker, which is the captain of the team, Artem Zuba, and his backup currently is Fedor Smolov, who is also very experienced and not the uh, who player who started not the season badly at all. And then he is in invited, uh, Nikolai Kamlichenko, who is the player who plays now in Czech Republic and also has, you know, good, good press. But, um, I, I really understand because Stanislav Chichesov says that Fedor Chalov is still eligible to play for the U whatever 21 or like the, 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 yeah, U21. Uh, so he can get his playing time and his experience there because clearly he won't get his chance, uh, in the national team because we have Artem Zuba, who is, like I said, the captain and number one striker and very experienced backup in Fedor Smolov. So I totally understand his logic and based on the decisions with Stanislav Cherchesov, the national coach, made around the World Cup, I started I started trusting him without really questioning because it seems like he makes the right decision in terms of 
he calls up the players who are in a good form and who he he has his vision and really he i questioned his decisions a few times on on the players he called up and especially around the world cup but then in the end he ended up being right because the players who he called up were part of the system and worked well and then the players who i thought should should be called up and especially that was around my club the spartak moscow players he, um they they declined in their form and it the you know the time showed that Stanislav Chechesov is right with his choices so i am with the coach uh, on this one and pure not even because maybe i don't see a spot for Fedor Chalov mostly because i i kind of started just trusting the Stanislav Chechesov decision because he watches a lot of football he has his understanding and i think his explanation is fair enough we have Artem Zuba who is the captain who is the the leader and one of the best players so why would you keep the young player on the bench when he can get some playing time in the U21 team so i think that makes sense to me but uh, not everyone agrees with me and there's quite a lot of especially from CSKA fans um who believe that Fyodor Chalov uh, should get a chance so two opinions uh, but this is the story with the uh new story with the lineup which will play two national teams games in in in, in the national team weekend andrew Do you agree with Tim that yeah. the, the, the top goal scorer of last season should not be in this Russia side? I'm very surprised at myself to say this, but actually I do agree. And I don't mean I'm surprised to agree with Tim, but I think the reasons Tim makes, uh, they actually, they hold water. I think Chichesov has definitely earned the right to have his choices respected because he's done a a fantastic job over the course of his tenure, in my opinion. He's experimented, he's been bold. He has given chances to plenty of new players and Komlichenko is, is scoring goals for fun. And actually, he, Komlichenko is more of a direct replacement for Dubo. He's more of a physical presence. He's that type of player who fits the system Chichasov wants to play. What's the point in having Chalov if he's certainly exactly. not going to start? Because it's not, it's no comment on his ability, is it? You know, he's just put playing for the under 21s. If you look at this under 21 squad, the Russia under 21 squad, I have to be honest. I think it's one of the strongest under-21 squads I, I remember seeing in my time following Russian football. Chalov will be at the forefront of that. He'll be he'll be scoring goals, hopefully, in the next two games. And it will do a far more useful job in the long term. He, the door isn't going to be closed on him. But I think it also could serve as some sort of motivation. Because if Chalov thinks he doesn't have a God-given right to be in the squad, you know, and he's got to work hard to earn it... Um, You know, you, you've also got other young players around him, like uh, Ivan Ignatyev, who's struggling to keep his place in the Krasnodar side, but he's very talented. You've got Alexander Sobolev, top goal scorer this season. And he's um, he's only 22 years old. And so he'll be knocking on the door very soon. So Chalp has really got to work hard to earn his place back in the side. And I don't think that's a bad thing. Yeah, no. I, I mean, it's it's all good arguments. Uh, at the same time, you, you give him someone like Komlichenko the playing time, right? Um, 24 year old striker from the, who's playing in the Czech Republic. Um, yes, Chris, you're right. Um, Andrew and Tim, you're right. He's been scoring goals for fun. He has, uh, four games in the Fortuna Liga. God, I love, love the names, some of the names in the leagues that we have. And, uh, yeah, four, four games, five goals, one assist. Scores every 62 minutes. Um, again, in, in the Czech Republic though. So is that the sort of caliber that you, you want? Um, I understand that Mlada Bolesev, they, um, 
they loaned him from Krasnodar and then actually had a clause to buy him um, at the end of end of last season for a Miyaga 400,000 euros. And that's a really good deal for them because I bet you someone in Russia will want him back very soon. But it, Tim, I'm going to you with this. I mean, yes, I understand. Physically, he is the, he's the same kind of player as Suba. He's a big striker. He does score a lot of goals. Um, but, but is he better than Chalov? Don't you want to nominate your very best players? I think, uh, well, it's, it's hard for me to say if, if we direct comparison between those two players, because I, to be honest, I haven't seen too much of, uh, Komlichenko in, in Czech Republic Fortuna League. Like you said, I had no idea it was Fortuna League. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I think in that case where, where Chalov can still get minutes in the U21, uh, I think that it's not the comparison. It's just, uh, who can fit where, because Komlichenko cannot play for that, uh, for that side. And the, um, uh, and uh, Chalov can, so I think that's the, I think that's kind of the the, the the thought process behind that. So because to be honest, I don't think Kamlichenko or Chalov, either of them, if, if they were as a third striker, would get minutes in in those two games. They might get some, but most likely no, because the second striker is Fedor Smolov. Uh, so instead of just sitting in the bench. Uh, for further Chalov, if he can get playing minutes in the youth team, that makes sense. And Kamlichenko, well, since he cannot get minutes in the uh, U21 side because he's too old for that, then he will just sit on the bench and uh, the experience of just being around the squad. And then we'll, we'll and then you know, in in the years to come and closer to hopefully Russia will qualify, they would have to fight um, for that spot between Chalov and Kamlichenko if that's the story continues, and probably one of them will hopefully go to the Euro 2020. I think that's that's kind of the, the thought process. Like I said, there's there's two there's a lot of people who agree with you, Manu, and and really think that, you know, if the person who scored the most last season and who is continuous scoring and who is a real Russian development uh, talent needs to be given a chance. And I to- totally see that vision. But um, like Andrew said and like I said that I think the the point which Stanislav Chesov makes it it stands ground and also yeah, we we started trusting the the national coach uh, well Stanislav Chechesov with his decisions. So I I don't think it is a, a direct rivalry between those those two players. They all just trying to find the the best solutions for this situation. Because yeah, it, we obviously don't need four players for those two games, four strikers. Sorry. Yeah, uh, we'll see how this whole things work out. I mean, we're going to probably preview the the two games that they have. Um, the first one against Scotland. Next Friday, not, not this Friday, next Friday. And then, um, Kazakhstan on Monday. So yeah, we're probably going to do in more talk about those two games, uh, in more depth. Um, good thing, good thing the Kazakhstan game is at home because that way I can't mess up the capital. <laughs> no confusion for you. And, uh, dear, Sc- dear Scotland, do not go independent or anything like that the night before the podcast. I get up very early for these. I cannot catch up. Okay. Um, yeah, just don't, don't. Don't pull anything like that. Hey, hey, Manny, Manny you, meant, you mentioned Scotland going independent. It's edging closer that way, so I would be careful. Keep your eye on how <laughs> Yeah. Send me a message, okay, before this happens. Not like last time. Like We don't want to have any last-minute capital name changes or whatever. Um, yeah. Although I, I guess when they go independent, uh, it's unlikely um, that they would like rename Edinburgh to Scotlandia or something crazy like that. 
Um, but you never know. <laughs> you never know. Um, boys, we have to, speaking of crazy things that happen, you know, we have to talk about these Russian Premier League results and what they ultimately mean for the standings. And before we talk about these very, very tight standings, let me go quickly over those uh, weekend results. Um, so we had Tambov lose to Dynamo Moscow 0-2. Ufa, wait for it, boys, beat Zenit 1-0. Krasnodar 1, Lokomotiv yes. Moscow 1. Ah, two big boys dropping points there. CSKA destroying Ahmad 3-0. Krylia Sovetov 1-2, Spartak Moscow. Hmm, Timber like that. Yes. Rostov 2, yes. 1, Ruben Kazan. Arsenal Tula beating Orenburg 2-1. Ural, ooh, Andrew, 3-1 against Sochi. We're going to have a lot of happy faces on this podcast this week. That's very nice. But it's okay. Let, let, let's start with Sinit ultimately, all right? They lose 1-0 to Ufa. Um, I don't think anyone on the planet saw this one coming. With the amount of money that Sinit has invested, um, we didn't think that they would lose any games this year, right? And this is now the, the second defeat this season, and it's already a draw. Um, Andrew, typical Sinit championship hangover. You know, now that they're like back in the Champions League and all that, they won the title. Is this now them telling us how, okay, like, look, I, I, I know we're usually, we should be the biggest team, the most successful team and all that, but here, hold my beer. We, we can show you that we can actually still screw up. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's quite reassuring to know that such a star-sided team can, um, can limp to surprise results like this, I guess. Um, Ufa are a really strange side this season, I'll be perfectly honest. They've played far better than the results have suggested. Um, they started the season scoring, I think it was two goals in the first three games, but losing all three of them. Um, and it, Daniel Thorm in, in midfield, he again, he scored. He was just in the right place at the right time. It was a slightly fortunate um, direction and timing of his run to catch out the defence. But even still, you know, you've got a defence midfielder here. Who's, who's managed to make a run unmarked, unchecked into the box. So, you know, Ufa, Ufa deserved it. Um, I mean, it, what it means for the rest of the season is, is, is quite a, it's quite a shock really that to, for Zanid to drop points at this early on in the season. We usually see their traditional collapse in about a month or two's time around November. Um, but obviously Tim will be delighted. <laughs> He'll be delighted to see this. He won't be upset in the slightest to see uh, great side like Sunit Crumble. Um, Absolutely. You know, the, a lot of the signs. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, it's, uh, we say this almost every podcast now, like our colleague Chris Williams says, games aren't won on paper. You know, it's become a bit of a catchphrase of his now. Um, but, you know, Zanit have 70% possession, 80% pass success rate compared to only 66 foot far. Um, they had 12 corners to only four of far. And yet they lost. So, you know, they, they've got work to do. Uh, yeah, they do. Um, that result puts them into fifth place in the standings. But, Tim, um, good for them. That doesn't really mean anything because, hold on, first place <laughs> Krasnodar have 14 points, as do Spartak in second place, as do have Rostov in third place, as do Lokomotiv Moscow in fourth place, as to Sinit in fifth place, 
Deden followed by CSKA Moscow with 13 points in 6th place and Arsenal Tula in 7th place also with 13 points. 7th and 1st place are separated by 1 point. Um, we got Russian Premier League Wu's first place bingo at the moment. I mean, it, it, it could be literally everyone, um, at the moment who could crash into that first place. I mean, let's go even further down the table. Ural, Ufa, and Ruben Kazan, they're on 10 points. They're only four points behind first place. So we basically have more than half of the table within touching distance of first place at the moment. I mean, Tim, this is insane. Yeah, it's absolutely crazy that five teams on the, on pretty much on the first place, uh, there was a little bit interesting approach because the clubs posted uh, different, uh, tables, uh, and they have completely different versions of who is actually on the first place. But yeah, there's five teams who are on technically on the same, uh, points and uh, they're in the first place. And then we have, uh, CSK on and Arsenal Tula directly following them. So like seven teams are, well, technically at this point of season are fighting for the championship and for the, for the Champions League, which is absolutely crazy. Obviously it's only seven games into the tournament. So it's a little bit hard to make those decisions that actually Arsenal Tula will be fighting for the championship. But still, this is, this is incredibly tight and uh, next, Weekend, the, this coming weekend, we have the game between Spartak and Zenit coming up. So two direct, um, rivals are playing the game together. So that gives a chance to other clubs to move forward or, you know, the, or one of those clubs to really get ahead of, of the other. So it's, it's very, very tight. It's really crazy. Like to see, like you said, Manu, pretty much half of the table is just pretty much the, <laughs> around the first or second place. So the Russian Premier League is tight, probably the tightest league in Europe. Yeah, it is. I mean, when you, when you look at those standings, that's insane. And we always said it was a really tight league, right? Because it has only 16 teams. Um, yeah. This, the schedule also kind of makes it a little bit awkward with more games being played before the winter break and less games being played in the second half. And so you find that most clubs kind of try to sort themselves out in that, in that long marathon session before the winter break, right? And then they retool in the winter for the sprint. And that's when you really see the separation between the different clubs. But you say it's it's early. I mean, that's almost a quarter of the season played. When you, when you, because it's such a it's such a shorter league, right? There's only thirty. No, games. it's actually third. Yeah, almost a third. It's almost yeah. I mean, we're getting there. It's 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 yeah. that's that's incredible. So yeah, Andrew, have you? Can you remember standings like that after seven match days? <laughs> no, certainly not. Um, not to off the top of my head. No, the only other table that I think rivals it for bizarreness and not quite tightness of points was that I remember seeing the Nigerian Premier League uh, two or three years ago, um, where I think every single side had one. There was only one game difference, like number of wins each team had had at home and away. They basically won all the home games and lost all their away games because there was a huge amount of corruption going on. Um, I don't think this is corruption. This is just utter madness. So it's, yeah, I, I cannot remember anything quite like it. Um, it's good, of course, to see Oral back where they belong within touching distance of Europe. That's what everybody really wants to know. So um, I just, I just like to point out as well, by the way, Oral are back where they belong as well as top goal scorers, the great entertainers in the league. So, you know, Oral is the real story here. Well, on that note, Andrew, then uh, talk us through your glorious 3-1 win against FC Sochi. You know, Andrew, Andrew we all know, of course, Sochi, uh, the former Dynamo St. Petersburg 
um, because we hadn't sold Pope on in a while. That's his favorite club. Just wanted to point that out on the podcast right here. But I like how you call them Zenit 3. So the Audioburg is Zenit 2. This is Zenit 3. So I think we should continue this tradition. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So yeah, um, Ural beats Zenit 3. 3-1. There you go. Um, walk us, walk us through this amazing result against, uh, Gazprom's reserve side. Hi, this is Rachel Fisher. And this is Desi Jenikin. And we host the Hollywood Crime Scene Podcast. We're really excited to tell you about the best Christmas ever on AMC Plus, where every day feels like Christmas morning. From new holiday favorites like Elf and National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation to modern and iconic family classics, you can spend the holiday season opening only the good stuff. And with new series, episodes, movies, and fresh content arriving every week, AMC Plus is the gift that keeps on giving all year long. Sign up today at amcplus.com. AMC Plus, only the good stuff. Well, yeah, like you say, it was, um, it was a lot of Zanit players on show. Um, and Anton Zabalotny scored his first goal of the season. And to be quite honest with you, I'm really pleased for the guy because we said this uh, previous podcast that Sochi needed a, a target man. They needed somebody who could score goals. And... He linked up play very well. He combined with Dimitri Polos very well. And it's now they can play two up front. Whereas for the first five games of the season, when they didn't score a single goal, it was just Dimitri Polos, who is not really an out-and-out striker. was not a striker at all. And he was playing up front on his own. And they looked far more dangerous that way. Um, Oral had uh, Eric Bickfalvi and Nikolai Dimitrov playing together for only, I think, the second or maybe third time this season. Because... Dimitrov's been injured and uh, Vic Falvey was injured a little bit for a game or two as well. Um, but uh, a typical Odal, they um, they took the lead and then were pegged back and left it to the second half to score two winners. Uh, Andrei Panyukov scored a very, very good header uh, about a quarter of an hour from the end. And Nikolai Dimitrov, for anybody who doesn't know, is a Bulgarian winger. He's about 31 years old now, but he has an incredible left foot and he plays the iron robin roll. Cuts in, you know exactly what he's going to do every time and he probably takes about, I don't know, on average six, seven, eight shots per game. And finally, this one third goal flew into the top corner. Um, Oral have now scored three goals in three separate home games this season alone and I've been there for two of them. And as soon as I stopped going back to the Ekaterinburg Arena for various reasons, what I lost or drew, uh, I come back and they score three goals and win again. So I must be their lucky charm. I'll just have to keep going back. Andrew, question for you, because what I'll uh, recently became a, play, a place where players restart their career. The biggest example is for the small of who had a dip in his career, went to Oral and uh, really became the superstar of Russian football. Then uh, that's not the only story. There was quite a few other ones. But could you please talk a little bit about Andrei Ponikov, who um, was in a similar situation, and then a little bit on uh, the player whose last name is Ilyin, because I understand as they both are the well, strikers. And so a little bit about the development of Ponikov and what's happening with Ilyin. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you make a very good point. It's Oralia Kassenberg are not a well-known side, um, even throughout Russia, to be honest, but even outside, certainly. Um, Panyakov came on loan last season and he is, you know, he's, a, he's, a, he's got a low centre of gravity. He's an extremely aggressive runner. 
Um, but he was never going to get any game time at Zenit and he has joined permanently and he is used in rotation effectively with Vladimir Ilyin. They're both similar strikers. They're very, very mobile, fairly quick. They're quite intelligent with their movement, but they are not designed to win permanent headers going into the box. So they, they offer a bit of a change of pace in the second half of games. And that's what Udal can offer. Udal has been crying out for goal scorers for quite a long time, pretty much since Spartak Gogniev uh, led the line about three or four years ago. And even then, he was it was his last reasonably productive season. Uh, Ural have not had an out-and-out goal scorer. So neither of Panyukov nor Vladimir Ilyin are going to get you 10, 12 goals a season. But between them, they will keep the opposition defence guessing. They will keep them working hard. Uh, Vladimir Ilyin in particular, when he came on um, on Monday night, he had a couple of runs where he, he really pulled out some extraordinary close control and skill. Very, very nearly created another two goals. Uh, and that's kind of the style that Udal plays. So I think one thing that a lot of clubs could learn from Udal, and in all seriousness, I know I'm blatantly biased, but Ural do give chances to fringe players. They they look at players from the lower leagues and give them chances. Um, and players who are perhaps almost forgotten at the, the big five, big six clubs. And, Andrew, you know, and speaking seen, of like giving chances, is the uh-huh. back Bogrimnak still there? He is. He is. Um, <laughs> on the, um, the, the Totally Football Show is a, a well-known podcast in England, and they were asking about Pogrebniak, and none of them knew where he was. They were Googling him online saying, hmm, he plays for a club called Oralia Kattenberg. Most people forget he's there, to be honest. Um, he is still there. He will probably play a few more games this season, but he's certainly not going to be anything more than a bit part a player. Um, and I, I didn't think we would... I didn't think we would uh, be comfortable without him. And I know that's a fairly desperate thing to say because he's, he's very immobile, very old, um, and is not desperately potent in front of goal anymore. But with Panikov and Ilian in form, we, we don't desperately need him. Very old, eh? Isn't he our age, Andrew? Just saying, you know. <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm not nearly as old as him. He's a, he's a whole year older than I am. So, oh, okay. mind you, I know you're the granddad of the, of the Football Grad podcast. Um, so, Yes, you will understand him more than I will. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm actually. But I think. In, yeah, I'm not actually yeah, oldest, so just gonna point that out. <laughs> but in terms of you know how much we provide uh, collectively as a result, I think our contribution to overall success is fairly similar. Like me and Manu, we at least talk about that the team on the podcast. Andrew actually goes to games and provides the lucky mm. charm. And Pogrebniak, I think his contribution is, is, is around the same. Andre probably will confirm more about that. Oh. <laughs> you know, it's um, it, it's funny really when he when he signed because uh, when Ural signed Roman Pavlichenko a couple of years ago, and I groaned at the thought then because I thought it's just for the big name. And then when Pogrebniak signed, I thought not again. They're just repeating the same mistakes. His salary is probably going to be far more than we should be paying. Um, but yeah, his con- contribution. I'm I'm assuming the reason he's been allowed to stay is for his influence off the pitch. But um, on the pitch, it's not going to be a significant contribution. I'm afraid from the former Reading legend. 
I don't even know how to make a transition from that topic to the next one. So, um, Tim, just tell us how Spartak did. <laughs> <laughs> very good. Yeah, Spartak did very well. We won a game in Samara at the World Cup New Stadium. Just a little bit of sidetrack. I was uh, watching some uh, highlights from the games. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, those thoughts uh, occurred to me a couple of times, but really it's beautiful that World Cup stadiums, it's so nice to have, like, honestly, pretty much majority of the games per, per match day are played at, like, in a very nice facility. So that's, that's, that's really great. So Samara was one of those, um, arenas, great arena. It was fairly full. Um, Spartak and Krylia Sovetov celebrated Alexander Samedov, who is Spartak. Academy product, but he finished his career in Krylia Sovetov. He was uh, there. He had the, one of those double-sided shirts. Uh, the front was uh, Samara, the back was uh, Spartak. And then Spartak fans also uh, had a massive banner saying that he wrote his name uh, in the history of the club with gold because he contributed to the Spartak winning last Last, uh, last trophy. So, uh, the game was pretty interesting. Uh, the striker Sobolev, who Andrew mentioned and who is becoming, um, like the new up, up and coming, up and coming, uh, youth striker, uh, young striker in, in Russian football, but scored again and scored a very nice goal. Uh, but then Spartak came back and, uh, the game was won by a 90 minute, like 90 plus minute goal from Gustil, who recently arrived from IZ. Um, also, uh, the son of Henrik Larsson, uh, Jordan Larsson, who scored his debut goal. So Spartak won 2-1, really clinching the win on the pretty much last minutes before the the, the, whistle, the final whistle. And um, it was a very important win because Spartak played well. I really enjoyed it again. Like like we've mentioned already a couple of times, my mood is around the club is a little bit happier because really the, the, the things which are happening right now and the results in the derby against CSKA, all the new transfers, really improved the mood around the team because the mood was absolutely horrific. And, um, you know, the, the victories like this really just like gives us confidence because uh, they played well. Uh, Samara is not an easy place to go, especially like, you know, the pretty full stadium. And they Samara is also not in a very comfortable position. So they were fighting and Spartak made, managed to get three points and um, get into this <laughs> crazy um, group of uh, teams uh, were with 14 points and being one of the fifth teams being on the first place. So uh, everything is great right now, but the, the key two games before the national team break, which will, I wouldn't say define the season, but really it's a key uh, point right now for the club is because we're playing away the second game of um, Europa League and it will determine if we will be part of Europa Net or not. We're playing against Braga, uh, the club for Portugal, and we lost... Um, away zero uh, one, so now is a game at home and then right after that we have a game against Zenit again that the game which he obviously cannot really win the league after or lose the league after eight uh, games but again for the next uh, till probably till the winter break that will be the game a very decisive game uh, especially if one of the team wins and gets the three points ahead of the other we, plus we obviously have Lokomotiv uh, Krasnodar and Rostov there so uh, good times. Um, I'm a little bit happier talking about Spartak, and hopefully that will continue, and especially in the, after the for the next episode. Yeah, uh, especially into the next episode because um, you said it, it's some very important matches, right? Um, we have to talk about the Europa League result, though, Tim. That one 0 defeat um, at the funniest looking stadium on the planet. <laughs> you, you know, the, the stand on one side, the stand on the other side, and then rock face on one end. Um, 
Yeah, <laughs> it's I, I'm never sure if I actually love it or not, but um, you know, it wasn't a happy stomping ground for the Spartak Moscow um, a week ago. One nil defeat. Okay, that's not a lot of goals to overcome, but no away goals that makes it very dangerous, doesn't it? Yeah, unfortunately, it does it? It was uh, well, it was a tough game for for Spartak because. Um, before that, they, they, like, obviously, they're going for qualification and then playing every three, four days. And right before that, uh, away game in Portugal, they had a very emotional and very, well, exhausting game, um, in, um, against, let's say, Scott Derby, which really took a lot of, uh, tra- uh emotions and, yeah, physical conditions from, from the team. But also then they had to travel to Portugal, which is a far place, uh, for a Russian club, uh, to travel. Uh, and they arrived and the temperature was plus 35. So the team wasn't really in the best condition. Not uh, like really recovering from the sky game, lot long travel, and the the weather conditions were very very hot. So uh, Spartak wasn't really impressive. Uh, I don't think it was a great game. Uh, but again, we have we had chances and we could have scored that crucial away goal. We didn't. But uh, you know that gives that gives a little bit of hope because Spartak has been playing well and hopefully in a home game we can show you know get get the, the right result. And to be honest. I wouldn't, I wasn't really super impressed with Braga. They, yeah, they, they, they sound, they, they look, they look great. Like they look good, but it sounds like it, they look like a team which Spartak can beat. Uh, so, um, I don't, I think it's, it's still 50 50. I don't think that Braga is 100% favorites. I think Spartak still have a chance and they're playing at home. And, um, but at the same time, yeah, uh, Portuguese clubs are very, very experienced in, in Europe and, so it's hard, hard to call, uh, but obviously you're absolutely right that a way crucial goal could have, could have been such a big difference, but nothing we can do at this point, and they just would have to overcome 0-1 lead uh, in Moscow on Thursday. Andrew, you wrote a preview on this game, which is up on footballgrad.com. Um, what's your thoughts on this game? Yeah, I agree with uh, with Tim that uh, Braga were overly impressive. I didn't feel like they completely squeezed the life out of Spartak. And 1-0 way, I know it's a lack of away goal, but it's not really that bad a result when you can come back to a home stadium that is now, as Tim has said, full of life, full of energy, full of optimism, momentum. Um, and I'd even say that Gustil has been fantastic since he's come in. Um, and Jordan Larson getting his first goal for the club as well at the weekend was impressive. Uh, but even without those two, I don't think Spartak are going to be too much weaker. I've even picked out Rezuan Mirzov as a player to watch because as far as I'm concerned, he is one of the most dangerous dribblers with the ball. He's one of those high volume dribblers where he will run and run and run at the defence and a lot of his dribbles won't come off and people can get frustrated with him. But he's the sort of player who can cause some trouble. And I am fairly confident that Spartak will do what is necessary to win this game. Um, Braga, I don't see them doing much else other than packing the middle of the pitch and, and holding out, basically. They, um, they have a problem with shooting accuracy themselves. I mentioned in the last podcast last week. So I think Spartak should be, should be confident. Um, I mean, if you can't be confident of overturning just a one goal deficit in a qualifier like this, then Spartak don't, shouldn't be in the competition in the first place, but I think they will. Um, I mean, just a few stats were interesting researching the piece that um, Braga haven't kept a clean sheet for 14 away games in the Europa League. So they're there to be beaten. And and I think Sparta, uh, I went for a 2-0 prediction, but 
don't know. Who knows? Maybe even more. Thank you, Andrew. Very optimistic. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. I mean, uh -huh. um, it'd be very important for Russian football, right? If they get the result that we all hope they're going to get. So fingers crossed. Game is tomorrow on Thursday. So yeah, massive game coming up for Russian football. Boys, but those were not the only games in the Europa League. Um, we had some really interesting ones and we kind of pointed them out, out last week because we might get some really fascinating teams into the Europa League uh, group stages. Um, unfortunately, I don't think Soria from Ukraine is going to be one of them because they are, they lost 3-1, uh, in Spain. Um, even though they got that away goal, I don't think there's going to be much coming, um, from Soria. I think Espanol is just a different quality. Um, another team, Astana beat Barta Borisov 3-0. So they're pretty much through. Our friends from Erevan, remember them guys? Astana, they beat Dudelingen from Luxembourg. 2-1, so um, looking good going Ooh. into the second leg. Yeah, I know. We might have a team from Armenia in the Europa League group stage. That'd be quite fascinating. Um, Northern Irish side Linfield beat Karabakh 3-2 at home. Two away goals though for Karabakh. I, I reckon they can turn this around. And Sudova, our Lithuanian friends, held Veren Svaros from Hungary to a 0-0 draw. So a 1-1, 2-2, 3-3 and so on will do for them in the second leg to advance. Um, those are, yeah, some interesting Europa League roundup results. Um, we also did forget Riga. They were actually in the, in the playoffs as well, but they did lose to Copenhagen 3-1. So yeah, unfortunately, I don't think we're going to see a Latvian side in the Europa League group stages, but, um, Andrew, I'm going to go with you with this one. We're not going to see Krasnodar. Mm -hmm. We're going to see Grasshunder in the Europa League group stage, but unfortunately not in the Champions League group stage. That first leg in Greece pretty much outdid them, didn't it? That 4-0 defeat. Um, I wrote a match report on footballgrad.com on that one. Um, quite honestly, I didn't think there was really much of a comeback. So there's unfortunately no second leg match report on the side. But yeah, it's, it's disappointing because if you have, when you saw that first leg in Greece, They really fell apart in that game, didn't they? They did. Um, they just, they did. They, they just couldn't hold their composure towards the end of the game. And I would have said a similar thing if they had come away with a one-nil defeat away from home that I said about Spartak. I would have, I would have really backed them because Krasnodar have shown they, they pack out their intimidating stadium um, for any game of reasonable stature. And the atmosphere was great, even after the four-nil defeat in. By in Paris, they were really energetic. They just burst out the blocks. One, Vanson had a shot after, I think, one minute and five seconds of the game. And it was clear that what the intent was, obviously they had to score goals, but they weren't going to sit around, be patient and break them down. They were going to fly at the pace. Vanson was just fantastic. He really beat his man time after time. Um, but... It was relative lack of concentration and slight disorganization in defense that allowed two relatively scrappy goals, to be honest, for Olympiakos. I, when Daniel Lukin scored after 10 minutes, I thought, and it was a very well taken goal, by the way, he won possession back, gave it to Wanson, Wanson carried it, played it back to, um, to Ukin, and he had to take two fairly awkward touches, but he finished it really well. I thought, right, we've got 80 minutes to go. Only three goals to get. I know it says, I know it says three and it's only, but it was within reach, but they just, I don't know, perhaps was, I don't even think it was lack of any, a lack of experience. I think it was just simply a lack of concentration. 
Um, you might say they have the same thing. I don't really see it that way. I don't think they were so naive that they just didn't know how to play it. They just, they just switched off at the wrong moment. Um, but what I would say is, disappointing as it is, if we're talking short term for Krasadar, it is a more appropriate competition, more appropriate level Europa League, because that they can, they can do something there. They've got to the knockouts more than once before. And, and I feel that this season, if they have a real go at it, they could have a chance at, uh, you know, getting to towards the the latter stages of the competition, and that in the end will probably do more good than being beaten um, slightly more comprehensively in Champions League group stages. But long term, Champions League is where they need to be. So disappointing, but they'll have to pick themselves up. Yeah, I I thought it was really impressive with um, when Laza Randelovic came on right and pretty much sealed it against Krasnodar in that in that first leg. Um, impact player without a doubt he was one of the three players i picked um for the match report but yeah maybe you i mean on one hand you're right andrew absolutely sometimes it's better for teams to actually play in the competition that suits them better right on the other hand the money um you know how do you make a club growth how do you make a club reach the next level in the development yeah. is is money and um we, we've seen this with in Germany, for example, with Eintracht Frankfurt, a side that had all these superstars and then on the last match day of the Bundesliga season miss, misses out on the Champions League and then can't keep those players, right? It's, it's a, it's very difficult. So I always think, like, yeah, maybe competition wise, it's, it's, it's better for them. But on the other hand, the money and the, the lure, you can, I mean, we had the, the earlier example today on the show with Joe Mario signing for for locomotive moscow he didn't go there for for just the money he always wanted to play champions league football right so this is it's a very important step for a club's development so yeah um tim in that regard an opportunity lost because when we spoke ahead of the olympiakos series the the, the two high tied uh two-legged affair right we really expected Krasnodar to get on in this one because yes, yes, Greek football is on the up, but it's it's not on the same level as Russian football. No, and especially after a very impressive win over Porto, Porto, which is a very seasoned and experienced Champions League club, and Krasnodar really showed the number on them and moved on to Olympiakos. We were quite confident. I I didn't really. It was yeah. The issue was that when they fell apart. In that uh, original game, even if they would have lost one or two, no, 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 even they had a chance. But that when they completely fell apart in three, four goals, that's mm. that's that's too much. Yeah, I I agree with you, Manu, because the the money, especially with the transfer they've done, uh, they needed that um, Champions League money. At the same time, the club is really developing. We need to remember that the club is twelve years old and they're developing step by step. They went to. Uh, BFL to FNL, they started playing in the Russian Premier League, then they qualified for Europe, um, and then they qualified for Europa League group, then they made it to the playoff Europa League group, now they made it to the um, qualifying Champions League. It is a step-by-step, you can see the progression, uh, natural progression, and uh, I think eventually they, they will end up in the group of Champions League. But I absolutely agree with you because regardless of that progression and step by step a process of the money, which is absolutely, you know, crucial, uh, when you qualify for, for the group of Champions League, that would have been a massive help, especially given how much business they've done this, uh, summer. And like, uh, 
something that we mentioned at the beginning of the, the podcast, the Manuel Fernandez transfer. Again, like, you know, it's a salary, it's, it's money. Um, so I think I'm pretty sure if they would have qualified for the group, it was probably it would have been a done sealed deal that he would have uh, joined uh, Krasnodar. Now it's not that easy uh, because Manuel Fernandes probably wants to play again Champions League football, and Krasnodar will have less money. So um, see that that that's exactly what you're saying. This is exactly how that affects even the transfer policy and the financial fair play. So that financial aspect was crucial for them, but yeah, they can kind of. Uh, Play the devil, not the devil's advocate, but like be happy that yeah, this is a pro- progress and step by step, and eventually, I'm sure that Krasnodar will, will de- end up there. Yeah, maybe just another year um, learning process because like I feel like it was definitely they definitely got a lesson learned in that first leg. So um, yeah, will will be interesting to see what what they're actually going to take away um, from from this result. But yeah, boys, we're we're out of time. Um, another podcast in the box. Andrew, um, floor is yours. What do you want to pluck this week? Well, mostly the same as usual. The previews will be out on footballgrad.com for, um, well, Russian matches, European matches. And, uh, yeah, I mean, last, last week I mentioned it. New projects have started Heart to Football. We are going to launch a website in the next couple of weeks. Um, but for the time being, we will launch a YouTube channel this week. So we have people around the world showing a slightly different view of football. So, um, yeah, search for Heart of Football on YouTube in the next few days and you'll find, hopefully, some very interesting content from there. Yeah, give, give that a look. I think you guys are pretty active already on Facebook. So um, good luck and everything with that, Andrew. I hope it works out. Tim, how about you? Um, anything to plug this week? Well, no, not really in terms of plugging. I'm just, uh, I have been watching Copa Libertadores, which is interesting competition. And one of the competitions, which in where we live, me and Manu in Canada, it's actual thing where you can watch the football games in, in the evening, which is, well, absolutely crazy because I usually have to go to watch a game live. You wake up at sometimes three, four o'clock, sometimes seven. Sometimes it's it's a benefit when you can watch a game at 11 o'clock. This is great. But, um, yes, I've been watching Copa Libertadores, and obviously the two crucial games coming up for Spartak. Uh, we have the derby against, not derby, uh, game, game against Zenit, and then we have a crucial Braga game. So there will be a lot of uh, Spartak this week for, uh, for me and very emotional moments. You can follow those emotional moments on Twitter at RussianTeam61 and at Instagram Rocket from Russia. Yeah, fantastic stuff. Give that a follow. Uh, pretty talented punk music uh, musician as well. So yeah, give Tim a follow on Twitter. You can follow me at Manuel Weff. Um, I'm on Twitter and, and you can also follow, of course, everything that we do on the Football Grad Network at Football Grad Live. Um, yeah, on personal note, I had, um, really interesting interview with the Canadian Premier League owner Rob Friend, which is out on Forbes.com. Um, I tweeted that out a few weeks ago and, um, yeah, I was a do articles for the International Champions Cup. Um, we, we're heavily previewing the Brazil against Peru game. So um, Chris Williams and I have been working, churning out a lot of Brazil articles lately. So um, if you want to give that a chat, if you want to see those articles, you can also find those on my personal Twitter account. Anyways, boys, that's it from this week. Until next week, das wird dann hier.
one gift that never gets returned? Trick question. It's three gifts, beer, wine, and spirits. And with Drizzly, you can send the gift of drinks right to your loved one's doors. Drizzly lets you compare prices from local liquor stores on a huge selection of beer, wine, and holiday spirits, then get them delivered right to that lucky someone's door in under 60 minutes. And right now, Drizzly is giving customers $5 off their first order. Just enter promo code JINGLE at checkout. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.